You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the San Francisco Chronicles Giants Splash podcast. I'm your host, Chronicle Giants beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we are joined again by one of our favorites, Giants bench coach Kai Correa. Kai, um, it's wonderful to see you, and uh, it's kind of fun to talk to you after. I think the last time we talked was maybe April uh, for the Giants Splash podcast, and look at where you guys are now uh, as we're talking 104 wins for this Giants team, which is a San Francisco record for wins. Could you have ever anticipated uh, this level of success for this team, you know, when the expectations were, were certainly not quite to this level? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me back. I think um, had you asked me that question in February or you had, had you asked me that question the last time we talked in early season, um, I, I would say it, it's surprising. I think it's surprising for all of us involved. However, our in-house expectations were higher than you know the the industry's expectations and so although we're pleasantly surprised uh, we, we've kind of seen all the work that's been done behind the scenes and and have expected this to a certain extent that's for sure what to you has really stood out over this season what are the the main factors do you feel for the, the way you guys have played despite a lot of obstacles Not every team has them but you guys have had injuries you've had COVID cases you've you know you've had all, all sorts of things that uh, that you have had to overcome yeah I think the thing that stands out to me the most is the sustained success right there's no really really good month and there's no really really bad month and so when you break it down by months or series or weeks the winning percentage looks shockingly similar and so that's been the most amazing thing to, to be a part of and when you combine that with the ebb and flow that happens with a roster during the seasons due to options and call-ups and injuries. And you put those two things side by side, I think that's the most impressive thing. And, and, and that's really a testament to our depth and for so many people's ability to perform in so many different roles, whether it's a different position or a different spot in the order. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to, t- to ask you about was you guys deploy your, well, this time of year, 28-man roster. Um, as well and maybe better than, than almost anybody. I hear that from scouts all the time, you know, that this is this that is really one of the strengths. It's the full roster. How much of a buy-in is that for players to kind of accept different roles and move around and in some cases move up and down? And how much does the coaching staff kind of work with guys um, to sort of foster that feeling of buying in? Yeah, well, I think um, at, at this level, things always start and end with players, right? They are the driving force to any kind of change, to any kind of success that happens in the gameplay, right? They are the they are the man in the arena. And so you can't talk about our versatility without talking about our guys' unbelievable open-mindedness and work ethic to making themselves as versatile as possible and be ready for those opportunities when they come. You know, um, I, th- I think that preparation is, is coach-assisted but is player-driven 100%. Yeah, this, I mean, honestly, this is the most unselfish, team-oriented group of players I think I've ever seen. And, you know, I've covered baseball for 30-ish years. 
Um, how, how would you kind of describe the character of the team in, in terms of that, you know, everybody playing for each other rather than maybe for individual accolades? Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible. What you see from, you know, 10,000 feet is what I get to see from 10 feet every day. It's, it's so genuine. And I think the thing that encapsulates it for me is, you know, you have those moments in group, group spaces, whether it's at a workplace or in a family or on a sports team, um, where there's uncomfortable interactions or uncomfortable relationships. But for me, um, let's say when I go into the, the lunchroom and I grab a plate of food, on a given day there's different groups of people sitting at these different round tables and it's always, it's never clicky. You know, you feel like you could pull up a chair and sit with any person on the staff or in, uh, on the team um, in the clubhouse and have a really comfortable conversation because we're all in here for a common goal. And that's a, really a testament to like be the group personality of the team. Yeah, I mean, that's unusual in any walk of life. That's Absolutely. That's really wonderful to hear. Uh, how much do you think this stage was set maybe last year? You guys all came in first year as a coaching staff and, you know, varying degrees of experience and a team that was not coming off a good year and a, certainly an unusual year as it turned out with a pandemic season. How, how much of that tone was set last year, do you think? Yeah, I think I think a really, really significant portion of that was, I think, a lot of the success that you've seen from our guys, especially our veteran players in 2021, they started in 2020. They, they started to create those changes, to be open-minded, to go through those processes all the way back in 2020. And I, I think a lot of those, their successes would have um, been scaled out to a full season last season like they have this season if last season was a normal season. Yeah, I agree with you looking at it. I mean, there was so much improvement in the second month of last season. Uh, that makes an awful lot of sense. And, of course, you guys didn't have Buster last year, and he's made such a huge difference this year. How much do you think you guys grew as a staff, too, during that time and from last year to this year? Well, yeah, growing as a staff is is something that's really inevitable based on the type of personalities that Farron and Scott and, and Cap have, have collected. Um, they're very thoughtful about bringing people who, you know, want to improve on their abilities and are constantly trying to evolve and iterate on processes. And so because of that, um, people have naturally gotten better at their jobs um, just by the experience, the everyday experience, and by the humility to know that we weren't good at them already or we could still improve on them. And then the other way we've improved is by working side by side with these veteran players, right? These guys know exactly what they want and what they need to prepare, and they've been really, really good about communicating with us. And so to a certain extent, we've improved as coaches by adapting to their requests as well. Oh, wow, yeah, because that was key last year, getting the veteran guys to buy in. Some of them who've been here obviously a long time had a lot of success, and um, you guys were coming in and, and, you know, with the exception of Ron Wotus, uh, brand new and young, and, um, you know, I think you guys needed them on board. How, how much do, especially the Brandons and, and Buster, even though he didn't play, you know, during the regular season last year, how much have they had to do with kind of you guys getting settled and being able to do what you need to do? Yeah, they, I mean, those guys specifically, those core players who've won World Series here in the past or been to World Series with other teams like Evan Longoria are the linchpin to our staff's growth, right? Not we're, only were they open-minded enough to bring us in and, and open their ears to us, but they were thoughtful enough to also share in their experiences and things that they, coaches they've had in the past have done with them, um, and that's helped us grow a significant amount. 
I think coming into the season, a lot of people would have looked at the roster, and, and it's been the oldest roster in baseball throughout the season, oldest average age, and said, like, oh, well, you know, maybe toward the end of the season, some of these guys are going to start to wear down. Maybe this isn't necessarily a plus. You guys have been so careful with playing time for, for some of the older players, and um, you've really done, as far as I can tell, kind of an unusual job with um, workouts and letting guys kind of um, – you know, decide on their own what works for them. Do they um, not spend a lot of time on the field before games, uh, maybe shortening up workouts, things like that. Uh, how much do you feel like the flexibility and sort of almost the individual um, preferences, how much has that kind of helped guys get through this season without wearing down too much? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a pretty important factor. It uh, and, and I think it's one of the extreme benefits that comes with having a veteran roster is that you can be a lot more reactive as a staff and listening to them because they know their bodies better than anybody else. They've been to, through 162 games. They know what bumps and bruises will feel like along the way and when they need a day. And so when they communicate, being reactive to their request it, it is a, a very, very big part of schedule building. Now, I know I've asked a lot about the staff as a whole. What about you? You know, you, you, um, you had not been on a big league staff before. You had worked in the minor leagues in the Cleveland organization. How do you feel like you have kind of grown from last year to this year? What, what have you learned kind of most and, you know, like little, I don't know, even like cheat codes kind of as, as you've uh, grown into this role? Gosh, that's, that's a much longer podcast. <laughs> um, but, but more than anything else, I would just say, just improving and becoming more efficient on the on the day to day right you know when you work in the minor leagues especially as a roving instructor you're not with a single unit every single day for every trip for every series and that's a change and, and that's a change that i hadn't been a part of since i was a collegiate baseball coach and so just getting back to the everyday um grind of preparation for a specific opponent a specific series and a game every single day or nearly every day was something that i had to adapt to and and thankfully for me i've got whoa who yeah. has done my job and excelled at my job for over two decades and so that's that's somebody that i can a observe and b ask questions uh, and, uh, and and that's kind of been uh, the most important part for my personal growth. Yeah, we should probably talk a little bit about Ron Wotus because, uh, you know, this is, he's announced this is his last season on the field. He's meant so much to this organization. He is the one holdover. Uh, just, you know, obviously three titles here. And look what you guys are doing this year in, in, you know, his swan song on the field. What is he, you mentioned a little bit about what he's meant to you, but just sort of in general, what does he mean to this team? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really, really hard question to answer <laughs> briefly as well. And I, I think when you've been here as long as he is, um, the key thing that he's shown is he can always adapt with times, but always stick to his key principles that has gotten him success. And so that balance of sticking to his guns, but also growing and bending as things change is really, really impressive and provides a great example for the rest of us to follow. The other thing is he's just a rudder. You know, he never gets too high. He never gets too low. He's always pointing, he's always pointing in that same direction. He understands the ebb and flow that comes with a player's career or a, or a single major league season. And so he's someone we look to from, from a personality standpoint to, to lighten the mood and, and keep things consistent and his impact is as large as 
um, a single assistant coaches can be in, in any organization or team I've ever been involved with. When you were um, considering this job, how did it all come about? Who, did you know people in the organization? Um, you know, you had worked in Cleveland, and I don't see like a, an automatic sort of link. Who did you know? How did it all come about? And, and what do you recall about maybe your first conversations with Farhan and Scott and Gabe? Yeah, the, the pre-existing relationship I had going into this was specifically with, with Cap. And so that was my connection, and that's how that, that process got jump-started. Um, how did you guys know each other? Um, I, he interviewed me, f to be on his staff in Philadelphia, oh. uh, when I was much younger than I am now, which is already young. And so <laughs> we really uh, built a relationship with each other through that process and stayed in touch, and that's what um, kind of led to, to me joining him here. Um, and then in, re in regard to um, kind of memories to the early conversations, I think when you get Scott, and, and Farhan and Cap in a room together, um, the, that energy is pretty electric. That um, intellect, that like clear direction, um, is one hard not that it's it's hard not to be magnetized to it. You want to jump in, you want to join, leave and join the circus. Yeah. And so I think my initial reaction was excitement. Like let's go. All right, let's let's hit the ground running because you could tell they had such clarity in where, where they wanted to go and how they wanted to do it that you wanted to be a part of it. That is, I, I can't even, you know, I, have I seen, I guess I've seen the, in, in Gabe's introductory press conference, I've seen the three of them all together in one room, but that is a lot of positive energy. Mm -hmm. That is that is very true. Um, now, you work some with the infielders. Um, you guys have had so many different guys kind of coming and going and different guys that can fill different roles. Overall, what is your analysis of the infield and the job that they have done this year, you know, especially since there are so many moving parts? Yeah, the guys have done a fabulous job preparing themselves on a given night or for a given series in terms of maybe playing two different infield positions over the course of a three, four game set. So they've done a really good job forecasting and communicating with Cap and figuring out what's coming next and then preparing themselves. All you can really evaluate, uh, to me as a, as a coach, is how someone prepares. Um, evaluating game plays is too reactionary, right? That's, mistakes happen, great plays happen, everything in between. All you're looking for is the consistency of the preparation. And for that, I'm incredibly proud of our guys. They've, they've done it from day one of spring training to present day, through bumps, through bruises, through injuries, through hot days. They've come out and they've made sure they're ready to make the plays. And I think because that preparation has been consistent, then the game play has been consistent. How difficult is it for somebody, say, like Wilmer Flores or Donovan Solano, who are playing multiple positions, coming off the bench, you know, maybe not necessarily knowing on a given night when they're coming into the game or where they might be? I think playing baseball at the highest level in the major leagues is incredibly difficult. So any variable you add to that only intensifies that and only um, magnifies um, the, the unpredictability that comes with our game. And that's what makes our game great, but also makes our game hard. And that's, that's really tough. And so that's why I've been most impressed um, with their preparation because they're not prepar preparing on a given night for the optimal outcome. They're preparing for multiple outcomes, the multiple ways they could touch the field. And that's really showed in some of the, the big plays they've made and the, the double plays some of them have turned and, and just the stability we've had regardless of who it is playing second or third on a given night. We'll be back in just a moment with Giants bench coach Kai Correa. But first a reminder, you can find all of the Chronicles baseball coverage at www.sfchronicle.com. And to subscribe, go to www.sfchronicle.com. 
slash pod. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Obviously, guys lose um, Brandon Belt Sunday when he gets hit on the thumb um, and, and it's fractured. Uh, so that leaves a couple different guys that can play first base. Um, how do you sort of evaluate those guys over there? Lamont, we know Lamont and Darren Ruff did such a nice job when Belt was out for the six weeks. You've got um, Flores who can play there. You've got Chris Bryant who can play there. I don't know how much you guys have seen him over there. But how do you sort of look at that group as a whole? Yeah, well, first thing, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Belt, you know, yeah. a little bit more. Oh, yeah. and, and I think the biggest shame in that is, um, you know, I think he was well on his way to potential gold glove candidacy yes. at first base as well. And I think that's been underappreciated through different points in his career. And last year he was a finalist, and kind of a, it was a little bit of a defensive breakout for folks to recognize um, how good he is at positioning himself, um, calling audibles on positioning based on what he's seeing with swings and pitches, uh, late adjustments, holding runners on, making big throws. He's done that so consistently over the course of his career, and then even more so of late when uh, those things have been magnified. And I, I think that's just something I want to highlight first and foremost. Um, is that throughout the course of the season, his defense has come up huge for us, and it, just like his offense is a big reason we are where we are today. Um, in regard to those other guys, it's just going to be—it's going to be very similar to. Uh, uh, to how we've had to fill in other spots this season, including first bases. I expect all of those guys to prepare the, how they prepared all year and get out and get whatever work they need to have and, and, and have the conversations they need to have to, to get ready to go. I saw Lamont taking grounders at third the other day. I'm guessing that's not going to be the spot that we see him, but is there a reason to do that to prepare him for first? No, it's just, just a... Just a spa- yeah, it was just a space thing. Oh, space yeah, okay. you know, I think at that point in time, um, Ruffy was doing a different routine at first right. base, and so it was just about using the field effectively and, and, and having creating a space for him, two different guys to do their their early ground ball routine at the same time, um, and, and it had nothing to do with third base specifically. That's kind of what I was thinking, but at the same time, I think we were all like, wait, wait, hey, what? A, uh, Lamont is really much more flexible than we had ever imagined. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, funny. Now, of course, you know we're going to have to talk about Brandon Crawford. He is such a special player. Uh, we talked about it in April. Um, he's just as good now as he was then. It's just uh, talk about gold glove candidate, MVP candidate. Uh, <laughs> probably doesn't really even require much coaching whatsoever. Uh, but what is your viewpoint on Brandon Crawford and the year he's having overall, not just uh, defensively but from an offensive standpoint? Well, I mean, every single time he steps to the plate at Oracle Park for the last – two, three weeks, the crowd chants MVP, and that's rightfully so. The body of work is exceptional. The offensive numbers, whether you're looking at whether you're looking at modern metrics or classic counting statistics or rate numbers, his performance has been nothing short of amazing offensively, and, and he's gotten, in addition to that, big hit after big hit as well. So it's not only been successful in terms of a large body of work, but it's been exceptionally clutch. And so that's been a fun combination that's really driven our offense. Defensively, it's, it's as good a year on sh- at shortstop that 
that anyone can have when you're talking about when you're talking about single digit errors at the game's most demanding position in regard to errors um and he's been such a regular starter on a staff that gets a lot of ground balls so he's not short on opportunities so seven errors in that in that sample size is minuscule so it's so representative of his ability to secure the baseball and then every single night if you go on twitter if you go on instagram you'll find a highlight play and you'll think oh gosh why is somebody repurposing that play again and then you don't realize no that's a different opponent no that's a different uniform that's a different time of day that's a new play there is a highlight reel play two three four times a series that is being posted and um, I think that he should have locked up the gold glove by now. I, I hope that the rest of the league has seen it often enough, has found themselves tipping their hat or sh- shaking their heads or, you know, tossing their helmet back <laughs> down enough times to recognize that um, he's, he's our league's premier shortstop. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I, you know, we talked about this in April. I didn't realize until I've seen him every day that he's as great as... I think he gets overlooked a little because he makes everything look easy. Even the really tough plays, there are a lot of kind of flashier shortstops that will make even easy plays look a little more difficult. He's the opposite. He does. He makes everything. He'll go up the middle for a ball, make spin, throw, bang on the money, and then it's just kind of like, eh, well, you know, that's just the norm. Yeah, it's a really, really no drama, no frills elite defense. Yep. Um, I remember a play early in the season. He goes behind the bag and kind of glides. You know, that's the best way to describe how graceful he is for for not a small human. Mm-hmm. Glides and throws crossbody to first, and Buster was his day off. He turns to me and he goes, it's not that easy, Kai. It's not that easy. <laughs> and and we just sh- both shook our head, thinking that, you know, someone at home might watch that play and say, oh, you know, I've you know I've seen a play where an announcer got louder and the guy spun excessively, excessively or jumped in the air. But no, that that was equally as difficult as a play, made lo- made to look one fourth easier. I totally agree. Longoria makes a, some tough plays look easy too. I, I think uh, some nights you, we are really lucky to to see the kind of defensive performances on that left side of the the infield. And gosh, you, men- you mentioned Belt and his defense, which I'm with you. I really hope he is still in consideration, even though he's lost, you know, this final week and obviously lost six weeks earlier. Does anybody else sort of jump out at you that that might be a a strong consideration? Yeah, the easy one that jumps out for me because I get to watch him every single night is Mike Yastrzemski in right field. I think um, in terms of an eye test, watching some of the amazing plays he's made this year, um, he passes that eye test in terms of what you'd expect from a gold glove outfielder. But beyond that, the eye test of making the every um, you know the everyday play look easy getting good reads on tough line drives on sun balls on balls where he has to interact with barriers where he has to deal with the wind or the light he's become an elite right fielder in our game doing those things and then beyond the eye test in terms of modern defensive metrics when you look at outs above average um, where you know that's that's a stat cast based metric that takes his starting point where the balls hit and calculates how difficult a catch it is based on how much time he has to go get it, he's the best right fielder in the National League in regard to that, that metric. So when you combine the old school eye test with some new metrics, both things, both signs point to him um, being a gold glove candidate, and I hope uh, folks are really considering him as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is not an easy outfield. And he also plays center, too, and does a great job there. And the fact to me that he can do both of those roles so well never makes a mistake, throws to the right base, seems to be very aware of everything that's going on. I I think that's a really good choice. Yeah, I mean, he's arguably playing the toughest right field to play in baseball, right? I've had two different opposing right fielders unprompted pregame tell me, 
gosh, why does this right field suck? You know, looking at watching the ball carry him off different angles and 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 and, and the wall yeah. and the wind coming off the bay and and Yaz makes it look easy. He does. And and and, and that's a, that's a great point you make. This is a tough right field. Yeah. One thing about Crawford that I kind of learned about both this year is he's sneaky funny. How would you describe his personality? Because I honestly, I didn't know about Belt, really, and that's been awesome learning that. And then Crawford is pretty hilarious. Yeah, they are they are kind of dry, witty, sarcastic, but they have great like great references and great comedic timing. Yeah. So there are a lot of serious moments um, in a dugout, in a meeting, where I have to catch myself and cover my, my mouth because one of those two guys will say something uh, that'll make you laugh at, in an inappropriate time. And they are hilarious, and it's been fun for the fans to get to see that side of them because we get to see that behind closed doors every day. Now, as we're talking, you guys still have not yet clinched, um, despite the 104 wins, which is absolutely crazy. What a one of the all-time great pennant races you guys are having with the Dodgers. Um, but we know that you guys will be in the postseason, whatever happens. How do you feel now after a long season, overcoming a lot of injuries, um, winning a lot of late late games, having this? bench that seems to provide pinch hit after pinch hit and big moments how, how do you feel like you guys set up for the postseason I, maybe i'm putting too many words in your mouth but um you know it's is it sort of all systems go and you just keep doing the same thing or is there another even another level yeah you know having having not been in a major league postseason before that's hard for me to answer that question but one thing i can tell you is that a baseball team as like an organism as a whole at any level can start to condition itself to winning it starts expecting it. It starts expecting the next guy to perform, someone to get a big hit, someone to come in and get a big strikeout, someone to get a timely double play. The team starts expecting that and starts manifesting that just because it's done it so many times. And so that's what I'm the most excited to see and the most optimistic about going into the postseason with this club is I know they as an entire unit expect good things to happen. And I think that's uh, how you'd like to feel when you go into the postseason. Do you, do you find yourself looking at the scoreboard to check the Dodgers score the way the rest of us do? Or are you just absolutely, like so many of the guys on this team and this staff, just absolutely, I think um, Alex Wood said last night, micro-focused, which I love because that seems so true. You know, I think there, myself, like a lot of other people, could be bucketed as micro-focused, but also very, very human. And so I'd be lying to you if I told you that I, I, <laughs> that I didn't look at the out-of-town scoreboard. I think it's human nature at this point. It's been such a fun race that people will be talking about for, for years to come. And so I am a, a, I'm a proud scoreboard watcher, that's for sure. Good. All right. I mean, it's an all-timer. It's, so, it's such a blast. So let's look, up for, look forward a little bit to next year because you guys have obviously a lot of returning pieces. Now Crawford with the extension. Um, and just a team as a whole, there have been guys who've really shown great development and turning themselves into fantastic regular big leaguers, Lamont Wade being one of the best examples. How do you, when you look at things, you know, with an extraordinary this year this year, how do you look at things for next year? Well, I think whenever you're talking about building or repeating a successful season, um, you think about the big moments, the big hits, the big pitches, the big wins, and that's what you'd like to recreate. But more so, those are results. What you need to seek and what you need to recreate are the, the processes that led to those big moments. And that's the exciting thing about going into the future with this club is that I think the guys are committed to repeating those processes, to repeating those conversations, repeating those decisions, repeating those practices, repeating those meetings. That's what leads to repeating success. Yeah. And I think, um, I think the culture here is built 
where people now associate success with those processes and have built them into their routines and will give us a shot to sustain the success long term. Yeah, the groundwork is there. Now, this might be a little bit of a personal question. So, um, you know, you don't have to, you know, but well, you do have to answer some way. But Kai, um, every year when a team sort of comes out of nowhere and is in contention and makes the playoffs, the bench coach always be, winds up being a guy who's, you know, looked at maybe for other jobs. I'm assuming you would like to be a big league manager at some point. Is that something that, that you see on your horizon? Maybe not necessarily right now. But down the road, is that sort of a, an ambition of yours? You know, I, I think uh, the funny part about that question is that being on a major league staff was already a dream job for me. And so a, a lot of folks who get asked that question, I'm sure, have ambitions and are looking forward and thinking about more roles and more responsibility. But for me, um, and not to be cliche, but I'm already in my dream job, right? I, I'm, I'm doing something every single day and getting to work with the best players in the world in a historic organization for a good front office, for a manager who provides autonomy. And so it's hard for me to imagine beyond that when two years ago I couldn't imagine what I already do. Yeah. Now, like anybody else, um, you know, I, I'd gladly um, be interested in continuing to grow and evolve in, in, in my career. But right now, the most important thing for me is not getting pinched and waking up out of this current situation <laughs> and, and realizing it was a dream. I, I think that that's my, my number one focus, and that's my overwhelming thought uh, to my career is that I can't get, believe that I already get to do what, I, uh, what I'm doing. Yeah, in a season like this, it's just it's really remarkable. I think everybody is just enjoying this, this ride and appreciating this team and what you guys on the coaching staff have done and, and of course, what the players have done. Kai Kraya, thanks so much. Hawaii's own Kai Kraya for joining us today on the Giants Flash. Thanks for having me. Our thanks again to Giants bench coach Kai Correa for joining us on the Giants Splash podcast. Our producers today were King Kaufman and G. Allen Johnson. And our music, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. We will be back again next week with more Giants Splash. Thanks so much for listening.